Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of Pensive Politics. I am your host, Mr. Watson, also known as Christian Watson, but Mr. Watson is what we go by here, and it is so great to be with you guys again. I have not done one of these in about a good part of a month now. I for this entire month of April, I have been accidentally, incidentally, so to speak, just doing interviews. Right? We, 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 I interviewed uh, Joshua Wong who is a, the Hong Kong activist who is, we'll talk about him later and his plight later. I've interviewed so many other folks, Brad Palumbo from the Washington Examiner, Sean Comic, all kind of awesome, intelligent, insightful people who are leading the charge, uh, who are part of the intellectual vanguard in our modern day society. So it's, I've just been, it's nice to get back to the monologue seat again because these are where I can really flesh out my ideas and I can really express my spirit the innermost contents of my spirit and my soul to all of you great, 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 great people. And so on this episode of Pensive Politics, we will be covering a few topics. We'll be covering the chaos in Michigan uh, uh, that is happening off of the hills of government. Uh, uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmire, so I hope I'm saying that right, her um, executive order, uh, Executive Order 2020-42. And we will also be covering China's pernicious activities over in Hong Kong, they are using the uh, coronavirus pandemic as a cover to engage in tyranny and, and the unjust oppression of the rights of uh, distinguished Hong Kongers who have been fighting against the great dragon in China and letting the spring of freedom flow out like a well into the streets and purify the necromantic nastiness that is, indeed, the Beijing regime's attempts to warp the souls of the Hong Kong people. Uh, then we will also be covering the very, in my opinion, Hilarious, not because of its effect, but because of how it's been responded to. News that oil has dropped below zero dollars today. In fact, the Fox Business had a had a statistic: thirty point seventy five, negative thirty point seventy five dollars is what oil is running at. So we'll be talking about all of that and more, and we'll be talking about how power. I'll focus really on power today. How power really relates and reflects the nature of our current political conversation and how individuals use will to power in multivariate ways, ways that we are not necessarily accustomed to. So we'll talk about that right now. When you think of power, my friends, what do you think of? Do you think of a strong man with his fist pumped up in the air or a strong woman with her fist pumped up in the air, screaming to their top of their lungs and shouting out decrees to millions of loyalist, loyal foot soldiers who go and carry them out in reality? Or do you think of a, 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 a well-heeled bureaucrat sitting up in a posh office using their pen to literally legislate massive sectors of our economy or our society uh, by fiat? Well, if you think of those two things as general what power might be, you're not wrong, but you're not getting the entire picture, right? Your idea of power is partitioned. And it is, it is purposely partitioned between two fundamental aspects of political being. When I say political being, I mean politics as it is in action, how it is embodied by people. Power has two aspects to it. It's sort of a, dual, a, a dualistic principle. 
in political context, of course. If you want to get out of a political context, you want to go to a more broader lens, then I would recommend that you read a gentleman called Michel Foucault, whose conclusions I generally do not agree with, whose entire school of thought that he was a part of, the postmodernist, I absolutely abscorn. But I do think that if you want to understand how a lot of our leaders operate in our modern space, you need to go from whom they are taking their cues from, either consciously or subconsciously. I bet subconsciously because I promise you there's probably not a politician in this country who is uh, studious enough to diligently study Foucault, Sartre, and the pantheon of postmodernists that uh, basically basically lanced modernity or tried to lance modernity, did so in a very uh, a, a very uh, prudish almost uh, obstentatious way. <laughs> uh, I doubt there's politicians in this country that are studious enough to generally study them. But yes, so in political context, power is two things. There is power exercised through institutions. Notice I don't say institutional power because institutions themselves have no power. Institutions themselves are not animate beings. Institutions are tools by which human beings enact their desires. Let me say that again. Institutions are tools by which human beings enact their desires. Institutions are not animate beings lumbering for some purpose, which is why when someone says institutional racism, they're really engaging in a misnomer and a fallacy because there is no truly institutional racism. There is racism done by people. If you doubt that claim, then I want you to show me an institution that is inherently racist. Like an institution, a tool, that is inherently racist. There are things people and institutions do that are racist, right? So, for example, the government in the Jim Crow era. The government was the institution. Jim Crow was what the institution did. All of that had one common thing. What common thing? It was all enacted by human beings. Sapient, sentient, lumbering human souls who were misguided and had malignant desires in their hearts towards African Americans and anyone who was outside of their compartmentalized box of what they wanted America to be. The institutions that did that back then are still around. The institution of the government is still around. But the institution itself is not racist. It was a tool used for an unjust cause. So I'm going to say power is exercised through institutions. And the Nectar, the core of power exercised vis-a-vis institutions, is force. Without that, institutions or people who use institutions have no power. Period. Then there is social power. Okay, let me get this. Social power is using prestige, social standing, or the image of institutional power to project forth a solution. And that is precisely what our our uh, first individual we'll be talking about here did in Michigan not too long ago. Governor Gretchen Whitmire, uh, a, de- a, a Democrat, which really shouldn't matter in my opinion. I don't care that she's a Democrat. I care what she does. You can be a Democrat and you can fight for liberty. You can be a Democrat and you can fight for individualism. Now, most Democrats don't do that because they are, they are under the spell of progressivism. But a lot of Republicans don't do that either because they they're under the spell of populism. So I'm not going to sit here and attack all Democrats. I'm not going to sit here and lance the entire Democratic Party because that's just an unbecoming of someone who's trying to 
truly investigate the cause and core of these issues. It's unbecoming of someone who's actually serious. It's unbecoming of someone who actually wants to get to the bottom, the nitty-gritty. But other, but anyway, just for your information, she is a Democrat, and she recently enacted an executive order, Executive Order 2020-42, which added on to her earlier executive order, which enforced a stay-at-home policy. But in this new executive order, she said, okay, yes, yeah, stay at home, but I'm also going to clamp down and reemphasize my scorn, my hatred, my disdain in her, in, in, her, in her sort of actions for any activity that I arbitrarily deem does not sustain human life. And the executive, the exact, the, the exact text of the executive order is critical infrastructure, right? And in that executive order, critical infrastructure is defined as sanitation, public works, healthcare workers, things of that sort. But in her definition, if you're outside of that very small category of people, your activity does not sustain human life. Your activity is going to, as they would say in modern lexicon, embolden the curve. So already, do you see the issue with this? Before we even get to the protests, before we get to their gripe, do you see the issue with this? The issue with this is that you have an elected official exercising power through institutions to enforce an arbitrary mandate that she deems to be correct without any checks or balances, without any sort of recourse. Well, institutional recourse directed through institutions. So when institutions exercise power a lot of time, or when people in institutions exercise power, it goes one way. It's like a one-way street. The the recourse that happens, the recourse that really happens, is typically exercised through people. And so that's just it's very odd to me that she had this arbitrary definition of what sustains life and what is actually beneficial, propitious for the uh, sustenance of life, when her actions herself, I think, would be is, is actually hampering life, hindering human life, as the great Rosewood Lane, one of the mothers of libertarianism, would say. I just found that a little bit, uh, a little bit hypocritical of her, and the hypocrisy is not what's important. What's important is that the definitions that she's using are unsound. But her, her orders, her diktats, her fiat orders have caused a lot of Michiganders to get up and get up in arms. And recently, as Fox News reports, I'm reading a report here. Last week, and I'm, this is not the Fox News report. Last week, thousands of trucks and cars descended on the Michigan state capital of Lansing, and as angry residents protested Whitmer's orders, the protest even drew the support of President Trump, who tweeted, "Liberate Michigan!" Last week, by the way, he shouldn't have tweeted that. Just that—that's just very odd for the president to be encouraging that. Kind. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. We, he shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't have done that. Uh, this is now from someone. This is one from the organizers of one of the protests. Quarantine is when you re- when you restrict movement of sick people. Tyranny is when you restrict the movement of healthy people, says Meshawn Maddock, an organizer of the Operation Gridlock protest with the Michigan Conservative Coalition, told Fox News. Every person has learned a harsh lesson about social distancing. We don't need a nanny state to tell people how to be careful. Uh, Mr. Maddock, that is 100% correct. You are exercising the pure essence of human rightness, of the human soul, 
through your voice by doing this. That is 100% correct. Let's understand, people. When social distancing first became a th- first became in vogue, what happened? What happened was many uh, many Americans began abandoning their jobs. They froze the public life, and they retreated inside. This was before the governors took it upon took the onus of of of, of paternalism upon themselves to force us into our homes. So this person has an absolute point, and I'd wager many Michiganders were also following that same trend. But the idea when but when the governor exercises power through institutions is that since I have this legitimacy to my name, I have this legitimacy to my actions that is granted from me being elected and then granted from me having an official from me having the offices of this of the government of the state by my name under my authority, what I say is the best way. It is presumptuousness of the highest order, my friends. It is presumptuousness of servility of the highest order. And so to this very illustrious argument that goes back to the root of natural rights, that understands the science of human behavior, what did Miss Whitmire, Gretchen Whitmire, this genius of a governor over in Michigan say? Here's what she said. And I, this is the, from the, uh, the article. And I know that the vast majority of Michiganders understand that not going to the gas station to fill up your boat. <laughs> Let's stop right there. <laughs> Hold on. These protesters are talking about freedom of movement, one of the basic natural freedoms available to human beings. And she immediately jumps over to a material object. Notice that. Notice that. We'll get to that in a moment. Continuing the, co- the, co- the quote is a sacrifice, but it's one that is worth it. Because who among us, watch this, would, wouldn't would rather forgo jet skiing or boating right now if it's going to save your grandparent or neighbor's life? And that's precisely what the trade-off is in this moment. Number one, the protests that are happening in Michigan are not happening because some bigwigs, uh, luxurious appetites got, got, got stuttered. No. The leader of the of, of the biggest protest, perhaps one of the only protests in Michigan, is quite literally saying, you are restricting my freedom of movement. You are hampering my soul. You are crushing my essence. You are crushing my potential. You are literally shackling me with the unnecessary chains of government, and I need you to stop, or I need you to negotiate with me so we can do this in a manner that is propitious for my life. You see, Whitmire is saying she wants, to, she wants to sustain life. No, she wants to impose her arbitrary ideas of what it means to take care of people onto others without getting them checked. That's what she wants. I'm not saying she's a bad person. But I am certainly saying that her intentions are not as objectively benevolent as she's making them seem. Not even a little bit. Her intentions fall in line with her ideology, her idea of what government's supposed to do. They do not fall in line to what is actually beneficial for life. And what is beneficial for the flourishing or the sustenance of life? Freedom. But let's go back to the material thing. She is tying their grievances to a material cause, which can then easily be dismissed as selfishness or dismissed as 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 desire to overindulge 
And these are things in modern day society that are not gleaned upon by most people. They're not gleaned upon by most people. But it's much harder to have a debate or discussion or a, a disputation on the nature of natural rights and their importance to human life. Because first Whitmire said, okay, I want to sustain natural, I want to sustain life, I want to protect life, and my order will protect life. But then she went away from the conceptual argument to the material argument, which is precisely what the Marxist Engels school of thought did in their, con in the, in their, in their, con uh, con uh, in their conception, their birth of a dialectical materialism. I'm not saying she's a Marxist, I'm not saying that. But I am saying, we have to watch these tactics quite carefully, my friends. Because these tactics are, are essentially amount to a straw man. She is, she is, she's attacking a straw man here. She's attacking a straw man that is perhaps invoked to cause dissent of a lower nature. What do I mean a lower nature? Descent of a higher nature is descent that is predicated upon values that are objectively good or can be argued to be objectively good and actually benefit human freedom. Of a lower nature is descent of what is predicated upon the opposite, values that don't really further determine human freedom or critical discussion, but devolve into conflict. Her language is the harbinger of conflict. Rittmeyer is the harbinger of conflict. It's a shame. So not only is she using material, materialist straw men, but she's also not actually addressing, not, she's also not actually staying true to her initial premise, which is that she is the best one to protect, natural, uh, protect human life, which she's not. She's 100% not as evidenced by what I just said. The trade-off is not between a, a boat, uh, a, a fancy boat trip on Moffat's Vineyard or something like that. No, the trade-off is between my ability to flourish as a human being, which you claim to care about, and I don't doubt her intentions to care about that, but her actions show differently. So how does this relate to power? She exercised power through that institution, but people are pushing back. Now, she is, is stepping into a divine portal of generosity, a divine portal of altruism, and taking upon that cloak of those, of those two concepts of altruism, that cloak of the Savior, of divinity. And she is walking with that, with, with that equipment on and pretending to be the one who is who, who has the answers and can save us. She is literally cloaking herself in concepts through, through the force of her office. That's the social aspect of power, my friends. When you understand this duality, you become very wise to the ways of many governors. The governor of New Jersey recently said, it's hilarious. He said this on Tucker Carlson, which I didn't watch Carlson very much. Uh, not my cup of tea. I think that there are far more intellectual people you can watch if you want to stay up to date on politics. But on some issues, Carlson is actually quite correct. And the governor of, of, of New Jersey just said, 
listen, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights were not taken into consideration when I decided to shut down the state. That's above my pay grade. Right? So in that instance, he is embodying the, div- the, the divinity of commonality. Huh? He is embodying the divinity of commonality. Because a lot of folks in America view these abstract ideas or, or documents as lofty and unapproachable. But what is approachable and what is quite material to them is them losing their jobs, the glut of money, the the, the, the shortage of money in their accounts, their families and children going going starving, their um, children or friends di- getting sick and dying of COVID. That's material. And so this is what this is what rulers do. This is what politicians do. They take the material and say, focus on this, but forget about the initial cause. Forget about the first cause. Forget about that which birthed this material in the first place. Forget about that. That's not what matters. What matters is what is here and now, living for today, as John Lennon said in Imagine. That's what matters. And when you do that, you forget freedom. It's what Machiavelli actually said. When people understand that concept, that spirituality, that spirit in the abstract realm, which is contrasted to the material which many of these governors are using, to curry favor with their populations. Because right now, according to Business Insider, a lot of Michiganders are actually supportive of what uh, Governor uh, Whitmire is doing. Uh, in fact, according according to Business, Business Insider, 57% of Michiganders approved of her handling of the crisis, compared to, compared to 37%. And we're supposed to take that and say, oh, great, phenomenal. That means it's correct, right? No, of course not. Tyranny that comes from a, a mass of people is more dangerous than tyranny that comes from one person because there's wide assent. And where there's wide assent, even if you establish material freedom, the spirit of tyranny still lives. It's still creeping in the public discourse so it can sprout up one day and infect everyone with this disease. So no, this is concerning. But back to, back to power. Back, back to power. This is, this is very important. That Machiavelli even said himself, if people remember, independent of their physical circumstances, the spiritual value of their ancient freedom was his, wor- was his wording. You cannot conquer them. You cannot rule them. You cannot suppress them. People remember. People genuinely remember. And so, of course they remember. This is America. Of course they remember. Their entire foundation is predicated upon this. Their entire foundation is predicated upon the conception of freedom, of natural rights. So, of course, they're going to remember. So, I'm sorry. How do you distract people from doing that, though? You distract them by simply pretending that the freedom and the rights... Oh, we can trade them off. That's okay. They'll be there still. But focus on this. We have to avoid tunnel vision. We have to avoid nearsightedness. Because that is going to be what jeopardizes our politics the most. It has been what jeopardizes our politics the most. It certainly has been, my friends. So we have to understand the nature of power, the alchemical nature of power, and seek to interrogate it the best way we can in the spirit of maintaining political freedom. Because without that, my friends, we're we're as good as gone. We're as good as gone. I'm not saying that America is going to the freedom in America is going to go go away. That's, that's nonsense. 
But I'm certainly saying that every day our freedoms are being corroded. And even if your political freedoms remain intact, how about your natural freedom, your human freedom? That which makes you you. I'm not an alarmist. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even saying that it's a wise idea to go out and protest in the, mid- in the middle of a crisis. It probably isn't. It's probably not very prudent. In fact, I, 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 I was reading a piece in the American Enterprise Institute not so long ago where Yuval Levin was talking about the need for prudence in the midst of this COVID crisis, and it's correct. We need to be prudent. We must be prudent. Prudence is what will take us out of this crisis and back to a bustling economy and a flourishing human life. So I would just say to the protesters, to Mr. Maddox, to all of them, fight for what you know is yours, for that essence of human freedom. But in the process, I need you to be prudent. In the process, I need you to approach these things wisely. That's all I will say about that. In, uh, in other news, Beijing, the, uh, the Politburo dragon, is spewing its fiery breath across the innocent Hong Kongers that have tried to slay it for so long. Uh, the New York Post reported that on Saturday, Hong Kong, Hong Kong official authorities arrested Martin Lee, one of the territory's most senior barristers and the grandfather of its pro-democracy movement. The decision to round up the, 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 the 81-year-old Lee, along with dozens of other prominent pro-democracy politicians and activists on bogus charges, represents an odd assault on what little remains of Hong Kong's rule of law. Beijing, and we'll get to that in a moment. The rule of law is something we need to talk about. So it's concerning to me that we use that term still. Beijing has been tightening the screws on Hong Kong's freedoms and autonomy over the past six years. During that time, we have seen the disappearance of anti-regime booksellers, the disqualification of pro-democracy legislators, pressure on academic and media freedom, a law criminalizing perceived insults into the national anthem, the expulsion of a growing number of foreign activists and journalists, and the arrest and imprisonment of peaceful protesters. Uh, the repression has escalated over the past year. In April, we know what happened with Lam, all that kind of stuff. So... Most folks who have been following and watching Hong Kong have told me, Christian, when no one's looking, Beijing will come knocking. And I believe them. I genuinely did. I think that was an absolute concern. But they are taking... Beijing is just acting in wanton disregard for any sort of uh, normalcy or any semblance of normalcy in this... uh, uh, or even even any, any, any sort of proper political action in the course of its arrest of the Hong Kong freedom spirit. Martin Martin Lee. Martin Lee is a is, is a is a is a jurist, a barrister, someone who works in the government. Yes, he has different views than the than the pro uh, than the Beijing uh, the, the, the the Beijing side does. But this is someone who literally maintains the law of the Hong Kong government. He's no insurrectionist. He may have had ideas that are contrary to current the current Beijing practices, but they are all being he's trying to execute them within the confines of the system. To be an insurrectionist is to be someone who wants to overthrow the system, and that's not what happens. Someone that's not what's happening. In fact, to say anyone, the protesters in Michigan or the protesters in Georgia or whatever are insurrectionists, is to engage in a linguistic fallacy, linguistic malfeasance of the highest order, my friends. That's what it's to do. Is to engage in wizardry, dark magic of sorts, and when I use these terms, folks laugh at me and think, "Oh, haha, he's just being silly." No, 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 no. I mean it because it has the effects of these things. What is wizardry? Wizardry is any act, a sort of study in, of, of an act 
that can take something from the universe and forcefully apply it on the world instantaneously. Beijing is doing that. In their universe, the idea of control is dominant. If you go against that, you're rebel. So they are taking the idea of control, which hangs above the Politburo HQ in Beijing, and they are smashing it down onto Hong Kong and applying it instantaneously. They're doing magic. Folks may think that's crazy. That's what's, ha- that's what's, that's what's happening. That's precisely what's happening. Precisely what's happening. And so Marco Rubio has spoke out against this. Nancy Pelosi, to her credit, has actually done something sane for once. <laughs> she spoke out against this. A lot of folks are going out against this. And I interviewed Joshua Wong not too long ago. Joshua Wong is the Nobel Peace Prize nominee. If you don't know who he is, you should really look him up. You should be ashamed of yourself. He is the Nobel Peace Prize nominee. He is a major political force in Hong Kong. He has he started the Umbrella Movement, which basically was the Hong Kongers' uh, response to China, trying to hijack their education system in 2014. And he assisted the uh, 2019 protests, which were against Carrie Lam's executive tyranny, trying to ship off Hong Kongers to Beijing to be ju- uh, judged by a, by an injustice system. I mean, he, Joshua Wong has been on the front lines of this entire war for freedom in Hong Kong. And I was very inspired I'm very uh, fortunate to be able to speak with that blessed brother, to be able to connect with him, to be able to understand and and, and, and feel the spirit of the Hong Kong activist channeled through his example. I was very fortunate to be able to do that. But I worry for Joshua. I worry for Joshua. I worry for all of the pro-freedom activists that, that testified before Congress last year. I worry for all of them because Xi Jinping is ruthless. China is ruthless. They will not stop at anything. They will continue to do this for so long as they please. Many folks are calling for American intervention. Well, look, America is, is, has intervened as much as it possibly can. America applied sanctions against the Hong Kong government uh, not so long ago, uh, a year or so ago, uh, which stopped them from getting shipments of, of, of equipment they could use to terrorize protesters. America has consistently been the pretty much the only country to condemn the Hong Kong police's uh, brutality against the Hong Kong protesters and Beijing's encroachment on the territory. Uh, America has been do- using every humanitarian tool in its arsenal to do something. But guess what? Even no amount of intervention from the American from, the, from America can actually fix the cause and core of what's happening in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is in a struggle for its identity. No amount of force, which is what many people want, force, no amount of force can fix a spiritual affliction. Let me say that again. No amount of force can fix a spiritual affliction. No amount of force can do that. And the spiritual affliction is that which transpires within the avatar of the Hong Kong. The Hong Kong that is split between, as Alan Watts would say, the devil and the angel inside of it. The devil being China, the angel being freedom, uh, the, the, the pro-democracy and movement and freedom. And that devil and that angel are waging internal war against each other, just smash against each other. And for anyone who is dealing with the war inside of themselves, the only thing that can really help them from an external source is support. But guess what? Support can only go so far if the people themselves don't utilize it to the best of their advantage. We have to, Hong Kong's in trouble. It is in serious trouble. And in that internal war between that devil and that angel inside of it, I wish the Hong Kongers Godspeed. 
All right, we're about to wrap up here. Let's talk about the last thing. Quick blurb. The oil prices have dropped. <laughs> Here's why this is funny, people. Okay, so I'll just explain what happened. Prices today, on Monday, February 20th, 420, as the stoning, the stoners would say, <laughs> the, the people who are more adventurous with drugs would say, has... Uh, Oil has dropped below a dollar today. In fact, the box business reported it dropped to negative thirty point seventy five. A figure like that, and the reason I was so I was I was tickled by this was because producers tried everything, every last thing to sell. They are literally piling oil on top of oil. The barrels are getting so full. They are trying to sell it, but guess what? People don't understand, producers don't understand, that economics and exchange is primarily the science of human interaction. Let me say that again. Economics and exchange within economic systems is deals with the science of human interactions. That uh, uh, contains both spiritual truths and material occurrences. Material occurrences, supply and demand, things like that, market force, price adjustability, you know, inflation, the mundane stuff. But undergirding all of that are spiritual truths about humans or universal truths, however we, however we want to say it. This is not a religious concept. And one of the truths that really perplexes a lot of these producers who are producing these Barrels of barrels of oil and dropping the prices so precipitously, and then wondering why no one is buying their stuff, is that human interest, human values, are a part of the exchange deal. And right now, people are valuing their health, their wealth, and their stability over guess what? Over material items like oil. So we have to understand that if we're actually going to really get to the core of this, my friends. So for producers out there, if any of you listen to the show, probably not, you need to understand people value things. You need to address values whenever you are in a system of exchange. If you don't, you will never succeed, period. All right, guys, thank you so much for being with me. I appreciate it. I get I'm a little bit over our time mark, but you guys are awesome. And this show, I just, I'm so excited for it. We're, we're hoping to have some good guests on in the future. Wednesday is going to be Finn time. Finn is a friend of mine who will be commenting every Wednesday. He'll have a segment on the show. It's going to be awesome. But until then, my friends, be safe. I love you and stay pensive.